okay. I'm Robert Gott. I'm mainly a writer and I accidentally draw. Bill is a designer who deliberately draws. And occasionally um, writes. And occasionally writes. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, this is really two shows in one. Originally, the, the idea was that, that Bill and I were going to do this thing about film noir. Now, film noir is a genre, uh, it's a much contested genre of film. Some people doesn't, don't believe that it even exists. And that applies to the people who are making the films in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. They did not know they were making film noir until the 1970s when they were told that that's what they had made. What they thought they were doing was taking pretty shitty scripts and pretty inadequate actors and cheap sets. What they thought they were doing was disguising how cheap the sets were by lighting them in dramatic ways and by offsetting the frames in a kind of nod to German expressionist art, um, films from the 1920s and 30s. But in 1946, a French critic called uh, Frank coined the term film noir, which simply means black film. And it was called black film because there were just so many shadows. And that was because, you know, it was cheap. Um, and in, the 90, and in about 1955, the first really major work about film noir was published, and it was called The Panorama of American Film Noir. And the author was a bloke called Raymond Baud. But it was in French, so the Americans didn't notice. No one told the Americans that's what they were doing until the 1970s. Now, I, <clears throat> I like film noir up to a point. I think that in any film noir, even really good film noirs, there's about two seconds of really first-rate material, which makes re-watching them really easy. <laughs> you just fast-forward to the two seconds. And so my enterprise in this was to take those two seconds, or that one second, and to convert that into a very small charcoal that captures that moment in the film. And that's what mine are. Mine are the very small ones in charcoal, and they're one or two seconds from a film noir film. The name of the film noir film, when you purchase them, you'll find it on the back. <laughs> <laughs> that's an added extra, yeah. Bob, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, that, that, was, that was my enterprise, to do it in charcoal. And I didn't realise... I normally do charcoals that are quite large, and I didn't realise that when you do charcoals really small, it's really annoying, because charcoal is very soft, and it's, it's, it doesn't allow you to do sharp lines very easily. But anyway, that's not your problem. That was my problem. Now, Bill had a different enterprise. We'll talk about the film noirs first, because you will have noticed when you came in that Judy Garland is a part of this show... But that's a completely separate set of amazing drawings, and Bill will talk about that. Your pencil drawings, what was your enterprise with, with uh, the pencil drawings for film noir? Well, I started, um, I started those bloody drawings in 2014. Um, so they've been a very, very painstaking process, not full-time, um, when I found time to do them. Um, so first of all, I'd like to thank... Joe, Joe, 
German, thank you, uh, because today, after all that time, or yesterday in fact, was the very first time I've seen them all together and hung, and it's a privilege to be here to see them. Thank you very much. So the first one I chose was Fred McMurray and, and Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, because From Double I Identity, which invented. is one of the proper great yes, film noir films. And it still stands up today. Yes, it's it got is a good a script film. because the script was written by Raymond Chandler. That's exactly correct. I from was going to say that. From a James M. <laughs> from a James M. Cain novel called Double Indemnity, and I love James M. Cain. If you haven't read any of his books, you should read them. They were published in the 1930s, and they are really violent. They're deeply unpleasant, and that's what I call entertainment. Anyway, back to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Thank you. Start with that, yeah. So I chose um, the double indemnity as my first read because it's just a beautiful image and that's all I was looking for uh, as opposed to Bob's, which were accidental mm. beautiful images. And in the main, I think possibly every one of those large drawings out there are publicity still. So they're not actually frames from the film, but they may be attempting to reproduce some of the moments from the film, but they are staged, carefully composed and beautifully lit and that is what I was, I was trying to capture was the, the glamour of 40s, 50s and into the 60s Hollywood by getting, using maybe six or seven grades of pencil. What and does that mean? For the well, uninitiated? From, from, from 6B down to 9H, so very hard, uh, soft pencils for the very dark areas to light. And each area of the paper is actually covered in three or four layers of pencil, whether it be very dark or very light, just to absolutely smother the paper with pencil, not actually see any of the paper. It's all graphite that you see, just to capture the, um, the depth of it. And the other thing I was purposeful in doing with them was to just download images from the internet that weren't necessarily um, very detailed because <coughs> I was really keen to get a soft focus approach. And if you look, particularly the things I enjoyed drawing most, in fact, about uh, in these drawings were the backgrounds and trying to get something that was at really, really out of focus, but you could still tell what it was. And That's the most astonishing thing about those drawings, I reckon. Well, one of the most astonishing things is how you reproduce a blur in pencil. It's extraordinary. Well, It's not something I can do, even in charcoal. Well, maybe you should try, Bob. Maybe I should try harder, is well, what you mean. That's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> it is amazing. And you also, you try and avoid using um, an eraser, don't you, to lift off highlights, you tend to predict. Yes, I don't purposefully um, draw and remove No, the so you predict where the highlights mm. are. And I think that is insane. And I think that's just what you would normally do. <laughs> <laughs> that's right there is a definition of insanity. What Thank you just said. Well, some call what it you obsess just obsessive. <laughs> so those are the noirs. So you've tried to reproduce the glamour of, a, mm -hmm. of, of staged pictures but inside this show there are this is other thing this judy garland thing this judy garland yeah this judy garland thing yeah. um, 
What, when did you uh, discover Judy Garland? Um, perhaps in May 1973, I think it might have been. Perhaps so, in May. Um, mm. So I don't know how many here would be familiar with the um, Judy at Carnegie Hall album. Hands up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Josie. Josie. My wife is very familiar with Judy at Carnegie Hall. She's anyway, death that, of that's, Judy Garland. That's when I first heard it. And Judy Cunningham Hall is basically the, it's a live, obviously, live album um, from 1961. And it remains, I think, the benchmark uh, against which all other live recordings of that genre are, are put against. It's, uh, it, it is fairly established as the greatest live concert ever recorded. That's right. And to my knowledge, it's the only one that has never been out of print. So you can, well, if there are such things as record shops left, and there are one or two, you can walk in and it is still available. Yeah. It's been released Amazing. and re-released. And that was in what year? 61. 61. Okay. So um, the early 60s were the, the best part of... Garland's live performance career. She, as you would know, was um, big at MGM right through the late 30s to about 1950. And then her career changed for one reason or another and she became a live performer and gradually perfected that over through the 50s until about 58 when she became extremely ill for one reason or another and by 1959 was told she would never perform again. So she took a year off, recuperated, and came back uh, to a series of concerts through Europe and the US that culminated in you know, the spectacular. I urge you, even come to my place and listen <laughs> to this because it is spectacular. Anyway, but anyway, and, after 1963, things started to spiral out of control. And the, this exhibition is her... <laughs> trip to Australia. Indeed, that's exactly right. So the point about the 61 or the early 60s is that what Australians were expecting was that performance. And she came to Sydney for two shows and she delivered spectacularly. Even though things were a little bit shaky behind the scenes on stage, she absolutely knocked them dead and the reviews were sensational. Um, so, Harry and Miller, who'd brought her out... This is 64, yeah. Yeah, was aware that things were not quite right behind the scenes. But he had to get her to Melbourne to fulfil her last concert at Festival Hall. And things just uh, spun out of control. And she... What's the hotel? Southern Cross. Southern Cross Hotel. She's in the penthouse of the Southern Cross Hotel for two days without being seen, apparently drinking... And um, the Wednesday night, May the 20th, 1964, she was due at 8 o'clock and she was still in the hotel at 9 and even her entourage were not sure whether she was going to actually make it. And clearly she shouldn't have. She got there and began and she could sing, you know, she could deliver, but she didn't seem to want to. And the evening ended in disaster with her heckling or arguing with the heckling audience until she was finally booed off stage about 
or 45 minutes in, and it was the first big um, tragedy of her, her career. But Customs had confiscated her meds, hadn't they? That's right. And uh, the story goes <coughs> that she went to Chinatown in Sydney to try, you know, or had people go there yeah. to, to replicate them and it didn't work didn't out work so out. well. Yes. So the Melbourne concert was an absolute fiasco and the point of that series well, of drawings is to chart. Yes, it's a, a visual narrative of those 11 days in Australia. And they are comprised of images that I was working at the age at the time. And I decided surely there were more photographs than were apparent and sent a request to the archives and back came about 120 unpublished negatives of the events, which just thrilled <laughs> my heart. Which so I figured, you then converted into... Yeah, I needed to do something with those because it was they were just too valuable to let sit. And so and some that's of those, the some of those were taken by the great Australian photographer, Apple Smith. One was. One yeah. was, yeah, which is out there. Yes, yeah. the one of her looking devastated, yeah. um, realising that everything has gone Who terribly is wrong. Lily's uncle? Michael Schmidt. Your uncle's father. Okay. Amazing. And in fact, he, he took a whole roll of photos on that very bad night and he um, developed the one that I've drawn there and was so, so upset at having intruded on this awful moment of her career that he burnt the negatives after that. And so that's the only surviving image from... The evening of his photos. But What's really amazing about those drawings is that every single thing you see on them is pencil. All of the things that look like newspaper articles that are stuck on, pencil. All of the um, photo proofs around the edges that are black with those numbers in them, pencil. Everything is an illusion. Everything. They're, they're incredible. Well, you're very kind. I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> That, that, so that, that's what this is. So this is two things, film noir and Judy's disastrous decline into um, drug and alcohol, into a drug and alcohol haze. That's right, and they both have darkness at their heart. They do. And she was asked what happened, and I th what was her answer? Oh, yes, that's right. Well, uh, she went to, um, flew out from Sydney to Hong Kong, when there was, there was some cyclone or something and she had either a heart attack or a drug overdose. Drug overdose. And either a heart attack or a drug <laughs> overdose. And um, after recovery, a reporter um, asked her what, what the problem had been in Hong Kong and she had one word to say, Australia. <laughs> it had been so devastating for her. And that is a line, if I may... Continue yes. the story yes. from an upcoming theatrical event. Yes, yes. This is the other thing that Bill does. He he's written a uh, a theatre piece, uh, which is amazing, and it is being staged in Melbourne in July. In July, and yeah. hopefully, up. This is its first performance as a two-act show. show. It's a dramatic concert, basically charting those this. Three concerts, yeah. Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. And it's very so, moving. 
and uh, brilliant. And hopefully it will be coming down this way, maybe around Warrnambool. Warrnambool, way, maybe yeah, next maybe. year. So yeah. look out for it. <laughs> and we won't detain you any longer because you need more alcohol. <laughs> and thank you very much for coming. And thank you so much for coming. And thank you, Joe and Dean, for another... Once again. Oh, can, yes, if you would like to ask any questions. Yes. Was that Dean's last concert? No. Oh, sorry. Over to you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. I'm just trying to keep it short. <laughs> uh, no. no, it wasn't. She had five years of a roller coaster career that included many, many highs, and, but increasing lows as well. And she died in 1969. In fact, 1973s when I first heard the album. That's 48 years ago. So I've been following the woman's career for longer than she was actually alive. She died at 47. That's interesting, isn't it? Bob? She was 47 and she looked 147 hmm. because of the abuse that she um, submitted her, subjected her body to, like Piaf. Piaf was, Piaf was, she what, was 47. 47 yeah. as well, and she looked 147 as well. Yes. What's the time now? Oh, no. Why did you ask that question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were, they were small-time musicians. And uh, the family grew up. There were three, three sisters, and they were a... Are you? I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> no, um, film noir. Film noir has just—it's grown like Topsy into uh, crime novels. I was going to say that a lot of the film noir, not always, is crime. It's not always crime, but it is mostly. Crime. And it's not always mediocre, but it is mostly mediocre. There are, according to the canon, there are 200 dead set noir films, which blow out to 700 if you include a whole lot of other films. And of that 200, I'd say maybe 30 are absolutely first class. Do you have a favourite among them? You'll have a, a favourite. Well, one of my favourite noirs is a film that's dreadful. It's called The Dark Corner, and it's got Lucille Ball in it before she was a comedian, when she was a, a hard-working actress in Hollywood. But second for second, there are more sensationally beautiful images in that film than in any other film noir film. So you can watch it online on YouTube. You can get it for free on YouTube. It is, it's not a great film, but it is a really beautiful, beautiful film. And there are about four of my drawings that are from that film because it's so, so beautiful. Yeah. And film noir has blown out to include things like, if you write a crime novel in Scotland, it's called Tartan Noir. If you um, write a, a noir film that is, that has a, the lead character is a kind of louche woman, it's called slut noir. There's anything, you can just add an adjective in front of noir to cover a whole lot of things. So Scandi noir is just a crime drama filmed in Scandinavia. Does it devalue the brand? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, no. 
No, it's just shorthand to help people understand. The definition of noir really is that something starts out badly and gets worse. That's kind of the crude definition of noir. So you don't go into any kind of noir experience expecting to come out smiling. You know that it's going to end unhappily. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly um, online, and I ran through them to the point where I thought, perfect second. And so I took that, and I just froze that, and then drew it. YouTube. Yeah, they're all, they're, everything is on uh, YouTube. I'm way too lazy to, to, you know, to do research other than that. No, but ACME, ACME, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, may well have a collection of noir. There are noir obsessives, like my brother, for example, and he's a completist. And so he needs to have every single noir film. And that's, that's one of his um, sad life's ambitions, to, to own every single noir film. But he was a great resource as well, because when I couldn't find one online, he, he, he had it in his collection. Yes. No. That's a Hitchcock film. And Hitchcock did a couple of noir. Spellbound is a, a noir, Hitchcock. There's a drawing from Spellbound in, in there of Ingrid Bergman screaming. Um, but I wouldn't call, no, and also... <laughs> Why would you say it's not and... Partly because Dial and for Murder was an experimental 3D, 3D film. And so rather than concentrating on shadows and light, Hitchcock was more interested in, in filming it so that the 3D effect was apparent. I asked because our father took us to Freeman Children's to see that at the sale of his computer when he had to ask us to have other versions. Right. Yes, the, you're talking about the scissor scene, probably. Yeah. What well, did you see it in three D or in two D? Two D. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, noir is it's a it's a very broad church, and you could probably say it's noir because someone gets murdered. And it's black and white. And it's black and white. No, is it black and white? Yeah, Violet I think it's black murder. and white. I, I think well, no, the last I time I saw it, it was black and white. Yeah, but you know. You're a very 60s kind of guy. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes, there are colour noirs. And I would urge you, if you can remember this, to rent the world's greatest colour noir. And it is a glorious film. It's called Leave Her to Heaven. And it stars Jean Tierney, who's possibly the most beautiful actress to ever appear on screen um, and it's colour set in New Mexico and it is incredible. There are colour noirs. There are modern colour noirs that people call colour noirs like Heat Wave and what are some of the other? Oh, the remakes. They're mostly remakes yeah. but not always. Mm. Um, yeah. So there are colour noirs but I would say Leave Her to Heaven is the one Postman that I would twice. say. Postman always rings twice. With yeah. Yeah. I think it was maybe about 19... 49, Leave Her to Heaven. It's a beautiful, beautiful colour and it's really nasty. <laughs> Sorry? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Fargo's kind of noirish. 
Yeah. <laughs> no further questions? <laughs> You're too scared. <laughs> Why? It's football, apparently. Oh, football. <laughs> <laughs> no. Thank you so much, Robert. Oh, we Thank are you. released. Thank you.